do you do when you contract kill an eight-year-old girl's father? You got no other choice but to informally adopt that eight-year-old girl. Welcome to Nerdy 430, the podcast where comedian Tim Keck and I talk about nerdy things that we have seen lately. My name is Kevin Bauer, and today we're going to be talking about the Netflix original movie? Original. Milkshake. <laughs> Kevin, I, I watched this movie and I was like, we should pot about it. I was I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was fun. Does it aspire to be more than it actually is? Sure. Does it think it has some profound message to get across that it doesn't really quite reach? Sure. Are the fight scenes fun, though? Yeah. Is it are the characters fun? Kind of. Is it like, you know, kind of a fun action movie to watch? I thought so. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I had fun. Tim, this is really interesting to me because you recommended this movie and I was like, thank God. We've talked in the past about how we feel like we're too critical on this show. We feel like (laughs) we're always coming down on shows. You bring up Gunpowder Milkshake. I remember hearing about this thing on Reddit months ago. I was like, finally, one that we can have a blast with, one that we can rant about how good it is. Oh, boy, did I hate this pile of shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. This movie sucked so fucking bad, dude. If we weren't watching it for this show, I would have turned this thing off like 12 minutes in. Wow. I mean, I get Uh, it. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. You know what? Next time you get to pick the movie that we watch (laughs) and we'll pick something that you think is really great and I'll come in and I'll shit all over it. That sounds good. I mean, that sounds like a plan. It's a fun, dumb action movie to me. It's like exactly what I've been expecting from Netflix. We're like, they're not putting out like great movies. They put out like Army of the Dead or whatever, whatever it is which we've talked about on the podcast. That's a very flawed you movie. Hold your tongue to put gunpowder milkshake in the same class of trash as army of the dead. Army of the dead is trash movie royalty compared to gunpowder <laughs> milkshake. Gunpowder milkshake isn't allowed inside of the castle. Yeah. Army of the dead is like brutally bad. And this is just not good. And I I normally do this this a little bit later, but I think it kind of encapsulates what I was thinking of the movie. Kevin Bauer, time for a little category. Money well spent. Let's talk cash. Let's talk straight cash money. This film, $30 million for Gunpowder Milkshake, which in my mind, I was like, oh, that's that's like you can make a good action movie for $30 million, but like not a great action movie. You know, I was like $30 million is like, you know, it's just it's like enough. There's lots of it's like it's kind of like indie. It's like Bloomhouse. It's like here's what we're taking a little bit of a gamble, but not a big one. This is $30 million just to make a John Wick ripoff, right? Sure. John Wick budget 20 to $30 million. Oh, my God. Taken $25 million. These iconic (laughs) action movies that in my head, I was watching this saying like, this is just ripping off John Wick. The budget, it's a small budget version of this. Those movies were made for the same budget. So I really, I when I read that, I like had to reprogram. I think I have to reprogram my brain into <laughs> what this money means in movies. You can make amazing movies for $30 million. And when I'm looking at it through that lens, like they had the same, they had maybe more money than John Wick. And they turned out a pale imitation of that. I can see how that's disappointing. 
But as like kind of a half-assed homage to all these action movies, I, I still kind of I still kind of dug it. So that's interesting. I just wanted to do one quick check to see. Oh, yep. Bingo. The movie Drive 15 mil. I mean, once we start going down this, like you get to like get out, you get to like all the like the, the purge movies and stuff like that. Like there's a whole tier of like 20 million dollar movies that, you know, are very low risk for studios to make. The idea of Netflix throwing $30 million at Karen uh, Gillian and just like she's got an action movie like we've got an Avenger in this movie. Like, why not? I mean, this is the kind of shit they should be doing. And I'm excited about it. And I was pumped for this movie. And they turned out like a movie that I I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I, I just had a fun time watching them shoot stuff up. It was it's not like groundbreaking. There were I mean, some of the fight scenes are cool that I've never seen before. It hits like all the bare minimum things I want, which is like. I kind of enjoy hanging out with these characters. The fight scenes are unique or at least unique enough that I'm like getting something cool. There's like blood and guts and they're showing me like kind of, you know, it like hits similar notes of stuff, you know? So like you can take all those things and make them cons, right? Where you're like, well, this is like a John Wick ripoff, but also you can look at it as the positive of like, well, it's hitting familial notes, familiar notes that I'm like kind of, if I'm just kind of like spacing out and enjoying a movie, like, Oh, this kind of reminds me of other better movies, you know? <laughs> it's incredible that all the things you just listed as positives are things that I have in my brain as negatives. I thought the action in this, the action in this was so bad, Tim, that I thought to myself, I don't think I like action movies. And then I had to check myself because I was like, do I not like action movies or is the action in this movie just really bad? They were having fight scenes that had in an action movie, you want like a, it's kind of like a sketch. You need like a, a good premise for the action scene. A great example of that is in this movie, they've got a great premise set up where her arms are numb. So she has guns taped to her hands because she can't really, you know, like work her arms like normal. And she's got to get through the scene with her arms. Being and numb. it's That's awesome. A, you take that into any other movie. It's an incredible action scene. And in this one, I just feel like they they had the good idea, but then the execution of it, I don't think I've seen fight scene choreography this bad and this slow since we were reviewing Loki. It felt like oh, well, that's TV insulting. grade bad action scenes. It's definitely better than Loki. It is. Maybe I'm just forgiving of choreography, like as a wrestling fan and as like like the attempt kind of gets me a little bit. Like I get what sure. they're going for. They're telling the story. They had cool ideas. Like it's a fun premise. The idea of her, she, the, that's, it's one of the coolest fight scenes in the movie. And I think like something I haven't seen before where her arms are numb. She's just got a, she's got a scalpel taped in one hand and her whole thing is to like swing her body and use her momentum to stab people. And then she like gets it stuck in somebody's throat. Also the guy she's fighting, she'd already beat up before so they've, they're in like wheelchairs and like on crutches and they're still trying to fight her. I mean, that's great. Like on paper, I'm just describing it. I'm smiling. Okay. Uh, you, you just said on paper, that's one big point that I want to bring up. I think this is a really good script. I watched this with captions on, uh, because our air conditioner is so fucking loud. Um, <laughs> so like sometimes the quieter dialogue gets lost. Yeah. Summer is caption season in New York. The, <laughs> That's how you know it's summertime. The cockroaches fly and the TVs have captions. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I think this is a really 
really good script. And I was shocked to see that it was written by the director because the script, you could take the same script and make a, like a genuine classic, very fun action movie out of it. But I think the way that some of these actors were delivering lines, the way that the action itself was so slow, it just felt so like stilted to me. The wildly mismatched tone throughout the movie, it just really threw everything off. But if you took the same exact script and put it in a different director's hands, I think this is, I think this is a legit, like classic fun movie. I think that's the best summary of this. I definitely want to talk about the tone overall. I want to finish with up on this. My thought on this action scene though, which is, yeah. I think it is polarizing action somehow, which I didn't really, I tried to like reassess. Cause then I went online. Everybody was very critical of it. And I think it's kind of like a consistent tone with the action throughout, but it is like overly scripted. It is very formal. It doesn't, mm. it's not realistic action. It's fun action. Like I think, I think they made the sacrifice of realism for fun and maybe there are limitations to like what Karen Gillian is capable of doing as an action star or what these other like you know women in the in the movie are I don't know if these are necessarily like action these aren't necessarily like action movie actors like sure. in the same way that you know uh uh um oh my god how am I blanking on his how am I blanking on John Wick's Keanu Reeves <laughs> Mm-hmm. like Keanu Reeves has done all this gun training. He's done all this like combat training. So when he turns out John wick, it's like, okay, yeah, cool. This guy's been like taking fighting stuff forever. And even John wick, I mean, I keep, I'm going to keep comparing this movie to John wick because that's, it's the standard action movie. It's the best action movie to come out in the last 10 years. And Keanu Reeves is amazing. In it. And this is clearly in some ways an homage to that and other action movies. They're stealing shit left and right. But John wick, John wick is like taking damage. Like one of the things about that is that, it's like longer camera shots of Keanu Reeves just beating the shit out of a guy and he gets hit and he goes down and it's like real lit. Like the, the idea is that it's super realistic and we're conveying that this is an actual struggle. This guy is through Karen Gillian takes damage in this, but this is not realistic fight. Like no fight would ever happen like any of these. It's Fuck cool. No. The idea is great. They're not realistic. And I think that either turns you on or like I'm, I was like, cool, I get it. I get what they're trying to do. I think this is just fun. But if you're looking for like grounded action, this is not it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting you bring up um, who is necessarily an action protagonist because I think Karen Gillan could be, I think she would be a lot better in this movie if she wasn't directly just trying to be Nebula. She was yes. doing the entire robotic Nebula thing, which works really well. Because in, I mean, it works really well in the Avengers movies because in those Avengers movies, she is specifically trying to act tough. She spent her entire life trying to toughen up and she is at that point half robot, if not more. So she's supposed to be stiff and robotic. She's supposed to be kind of posturing with her toughness in this movie. I think she would have done a lot better if she would have allowed herself to be less of what you would typically get of like a you know, like a Sylvester Stallone or Bruce Willis 80s action movie badass and more of just Karen Gillan being Karen Gillan like she was in Doctor Who. She was great in that. So I think if she were allowed to have more of her own personality in it instead of just being this robotic killer, she would have been better because you look at her versus Lena Headey. Lena Headey crushed it in this movie. She was so good. She The shots of her flying through the air with the guns, she is an action protagonist. 
She, the first time she launches off that desk with the guns blazing, I was like, she is a fucking action star. 100%. She has this weird Angelina Jolie quality to her. I think as like a person where she just seems like, like a badass bitch, you know, like in real life, like I, like she would out drink me and then like, you know, fuck some dude in a bathroom and then just like walk out of there. You know, like, I don't know. She just has that vibe. <laughs> she has this vibe yeah. of just like, you know, a badass. like, I don't give a fuck about anything. And like, I'll fight you in this bar. I'll do whatever. And she just kind of exudes this quality all the time. You know what and it she, is? I think she's Australian. I think that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Australians just have this vibe. She, I remember hearing something about her on game of Thrones, how she was dating one of the actors for a minute and then their breakup was so bad that they weren't allowed to be in any scenes together afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. This is like in my mind, like on track with who this person is like, yeah, I'll fuck my coworker. I don't care about the consequences. But then when, then like when that comes home to roost, it's like, fuck that. I'm done with him. I will never, if you want me, you got to get him out of here. You know, like that kind of shit. I'm like, this is this, this girl is like crazy. She just seems like intense and cool. And she brings all that. She just seems, she's, it's just so convincing. That she's doing this, that she's an action hero. She's got that cool attitude. I've been talking a lot lately about there are just some actors that have that badass quality and some actors that don't. And the example I always give is you can Jason Schwartzman could spend three years in the gym getting crazy ripped. He is never going to read as a badass to me. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Brody. Same deal. Just never gonna. It's never gonna flip that switch. But then you get some people like Michelle Rodriguez. Holy shit. So cool. Uh, Charlie's Theron. Jesus Christ. Just cool people. They just that, exude the quality. The guy who played Ned Stark was like another one of those dudes who like yeah. got in bar fights and shit. And he like, I forget what, there was some story about him getting into a bar fight like really like bloodying himself up and then them like the bartender just like then him staying at the bar and the bartender like stitching him up or something like that like <laughs> he got in a bar fight beat up this other guy threw him out and then just stayed at the bar drinking while he like bled out <laughs> it's like yeah this is cool these like Jesus. these getting badass people to play badass characters like something translates there that i don't know if Karen Gillian has that and i did so many double takes at the screen where i was like nebula's here and I remember watching yeah. Jumanji and not feeling that at all. But something about this, her delivery is you're you're spot on. It's Nebula. She's doing Nebula in this movie. Absolutely. And I wish she wasn't. I wish she was doing anything else. But maybe that's the, I don't know if that's her choice or if that's the tone. The movie, you're right. The dialogue is very interesting or it could have been interesting, but it's delivered in this stilted way. It's delivered like the whole movie is a satire, but it's not good enough to be a satire. Right. Like a hundred percent. If they, if these lines were delivered by somebody having fun, maybe you would have like a more upbeat, like cool action movie. But I think they think that the script is way more deep, way deeper than it really is. And they think they have something really profound on their hands and they're delivering it with this, like, I don't know, sin city quality where it's yeah. just like, this is art. But then they'll have these Sin City scenes, but then they'll also have these scenes where these really out of place comedy scenes where there is the dentist slash surgeon character and he's taking rips of laughing gas. And I'm watching this going, this guy does not need to be funny. 
This guy absolutely does not need to be funny. If anything, he's funnier if he's not trying to be funny. That's it. Everybody's trying to be funny. These side characters are trying real hard to be funny, and they're just not nailing it. But if you, again, if you take the same script and you play it differently, I think that scene's really cool. There's a scene that stood out to me where Karen Gillan and the eight-year-old girl, whose name I forget, they are, her arms are still Eight and three quarters. Or something. Fucking hated that runner. <laughs> hated that runner so much. Ran it into the fucking ground. Jesus Christ. It's a paint by numbers. We need something cute for the kid to say. What uh, can they say? They're eight and three quarters years old because that's something that's very important to kids. It's Jesus. So- she's eight and three quarters and they alternate between treating her like she's five and treating her like she's 19. It's bizarre. <laughs> so Karen Gillan's arms are still numb. She needs the two of them to escape in a car. So she has the little girl drive the car while she's working the foot pedals. Could be a really cool scene. Could map onto, I think it's supposed to map onto the idea of this is her receiving driving lessons from her surrogate parent after losing her actual parent. Yes. Instead, it just feels insane. It feels horrible. I was thinking about how impactful a scene like that would be in I Love the Last of Us games. You think about something like that, how impactful a scene like that would be between Joel and Ellie. I think they actually do that. I think Joel actually does give Ellie driving lessons at one point and just how how moving that would be. But in this context, it just feels fucking bananas. There's no I think we're meant to feel that we're meant to really feel that deeply. And the script thinks we're going to feel that really deeply. But the execution of the movie falls flat and doesn't give us enough, I guess, enough time to really live with these characters and understand why this eight year old is so attached to someone that just killed her dad. I think you're spot on with with time. And we've talked about this in other movies before, and it seems to be kind of like a recurring thing of we don't spend enough time with these characters, but also not enough time is passing on screen for you to believe their relationship. I think you're you're spot. I mean, with uh, what's that? What's that video game called? The Last of Us. Us? Yeah. The Last of Us is great. I know we've referenced it a bunch in this podcast, too, of like a great like father daughter relationship between unrelated people who have been like taken in and are on the run. And it's great. And the storytelling in that video game is, is better than most of these movies. Yeah. How much more impactful is this driving scene if they've been on the run for a while? They're on the run so for a year, a year. And they have a running bit about like, can I drive? When am I going to learn how to drive? And it's like, I don't, I'm not going to teach you how to drive. And then like she gets put in a situation where she has to teach her how to drive. Like that's how you really pay off that scene. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't think I've ever seen a scene where, where the protagonist's arms are useless. They have a little girl on their lap. And they have to like tell her to put in reverse and stuff. I was like, this idea is great. Maybe that's on me. Maybe I see this thing and I'm like, and I'm filling it out in my head. I'm just like, yeah, they're in a car. This is great. Like this is, I'm like jealous. I didn't think of this idea. I'm like, this is a great action scene idea. The idea is enough to like carry me through it. But you're right there. It's a, it's like a a problem with the script. They're constantly alluding to depth that is not there. They're alluding to like, I'm teaching someone how to drive. And you literally met this girl an hour ago. So like how profound could it possibly be for you to teach her how to drive? That's not a profound. She should not want to be around Karen at all. No. So I think, I think the biggest issue here, we keep circling around the idea that, you know, good script, bad direction. 
I think the biggest issue here might be the way the money was spent to bring it back to money well spent. I think it's the uh, greatest benefit of this movie and its greatest weakness because the cast is phenomenal. The people they got in this movie are phenomenal. Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh. Are you fucking kidding me? Amazing. Dude, Carla what Gugino, a collection of milfs. You... <laughs> oh my God. Jesus Christ. These are just smoking hot <laughs> older women. Just crushing oh it. I mean, I was like, what a bunch of babes hanging out in this library. This is great. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. What else do you want from an action movie? This is, they're, they're great. They're all kick-ass badass ladies kicking butt like i don't know it's it's awesome man it Girls works guns are hotter. Good, i don't know what else i can say about that it works as such a good parallel too to the kingsman franchise yeah which the kingsman also the first kingsman a great movie based on yeah. a good comic like they're alluding to a bunch of depth that does not exist but there there is something cool about women like action protagonists that I think is like very cool and compelling, which is to compare it to John Wick again, like Keanu Reeves is, I think he's a pretty big guy. Like he's a tall guy, but mm. he's not a monster. The fights aren't about how big he is or how much bigger he is than somebody else. Yeah. It's about him using his brain to overcome odds. So if you have a female action protagonist, odds are she's going to be fighting men that are like bigger and stronger than her. And then she has to use her brain to outsmart these people or her skill or her talent or whatever to like overcome these obstacles, which is instantly a more compelling story. I think there's this fear of like, you know, I'm a guy watching this movie. Like, you know, I can, I can insert myself into jo- into uh, die hard because John McClane is a guy and I'm a guy. And like, that's the only way I can relate to a character, but like, I have a pretty good imagination. I can pretend to go to a library <laughs> w- with assassins, you know, like this isn't a problem for me, but I do find it more compelling to see a character who has like the odds stacked against them, who has to figure out a way to overcome great physical limitations in some instances, fighting a dude who like wields sledgehammers, like they're just hammers <laughs> and figure out a way to beat this monster. Like, that's cool. That's fun. That's compelling. Like, I don't know. I, I dug it. I thought all, I thought all the ladies, all the actors killed it. It was great. There was a, there was a great example that illustrated that in the fight scene with the sledgehammer guy where Karen went up and tried to kick him and just bounced off. Like the force of her kick just propelled her off of him. I thought that was a really cool way to illustrate how solid this guy is and how big of a threat he is. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you on it. I, I, think, I think if it's hard, I don't want anyone cut from this movie, but I think a lot of the problems that it has are just due to the fact that a lot of that $30 million had to go to the cast, right? I mean, that's a that's a big lineup of cast members. So when you look at John Wick, what John Wick could do with 20 to 30 million dollars, they're paying for paying for Keanu, basically nobody else. Everybody else in that movie is a stock like uh, what do you call it? Stuntman or just a, a person that's used to playing Russian guard number three. You look at a movie like Kingsman that we just referenced budget, 81 million dollars. So they had a big lineup of people, but they also had enough of a cushion that they could pay for that same cast. And then they had this movie's budget plus another 50 mil. So, yeah, I'd be very curious to see exactly how they, they spent the budget. It felt maybe like they blew it on the cast. I don't know. You want to get into some categories? Cause I've got a great one that I yeah. think segues Let's right from this. 
Let's start with when did you know, Kevin? When did you know that we'd seen every set piece? Oh, boy, (laughs) because there's a turning point in this where, you know, she goes to see her mom. They they hide. They they get out of this thing. Maybe This is more of a beef. But she's like, Mom, you've got a plan, right? And Mom's like, I called us an Uber. And she's like, what? You always have a plan. You make plans to make plans. I've never, we haven't seen any proof that her mom is good at making plans. Other than Karen Killian saying she makes plans. As far as I can tell, the only plan is to shoot people in the diner where you're not supposed to shoot people. It seems like that's the plan that everybody goes to. Everybody falls back on. Why would anybody ever go to this diner? Because that's the diner you go to to get shot in, apparently. (laughs) But they they get out of the escape thing and then there's an argument, you know, there's kind of like a shot of them arguing. Let's go this way. And then and then the mom's like, no, we can't go that way. They won't even take me back. And she's like, yes, we have to try. And then they turn. They start running to this building that I swear I've like never seen before. <laughs> yeah. Like, where are they going? They should be going to the library. That's the only thing that makes sense. Turns out that is the library. They go in the library and I was like, okay, cool. This is the movie. We've been introduced to every single thing there is. This is going to end in the diner because, of course, it's got to end in the diner. You know, maybe they'll go to that conference room that Paul Giamatti's in. I don't know. They could, but I feel like it's all going to be in the library (laughs) pretty quickly. They've created a a very small world, you know, I think in that I didn't hate it, frankly. I thought there was a there was a nice symmetry to it. I wonder if the final scene with Paul Giamatti would have had more impact to me if it was his office from earlier. If we just see him exactly in the place that we've already seen him in. I bet it does. I bet it's better with him in the office. Yeah. And you get even like a silhouette because it's a cool office. It's just it's such a trope. The firm. It's a bunch of old men deciding the fate of like, you know, these women and like controlling them and like. I don't know, saying that they care about them, but ultimately like cutting them loose mm-hmm. and just to see like maybe her silhouette pulling out a silenced pistol and holding it to Paul Giamatti's head from the darkness. Like that's something that'd be yeah. so cool. We can't we can't end the movie that way. I I the only it stood out to me because again, to compare it to John Wick, because this is clearly like a John Wick homage. John Wick somehow makes the world feel huge without exploring that much of it. And this movie doesn't feel big. If this was the only library that assassins ever, if these were like the six assassins that existed in this world, I believe it. We have no concept of other people. There are there other assassins out there? Are there other killers? How big is the firm? What else? What else is out there? I mean, we have no idea. They don't explain it. They don't allude to any of it. It's just this little contained ecosystem they've created. And it's weird. It's cool that they want to stay there. But it'd be cooler if they'd alluded to things outside of it and done some real world building. I completely agree. I got one for you. When did you know that good guys are able to choose when gunshot wounds kill them? (laughs) Because everyone that we were supposed to be rooting for in this movie, when they got shot, were able to survive a very long time. And then any villains that got very similar gunshot wounds were dead in seconds. Harley Gugino does an entire fight scene with a gunshot wound to the fucking heart. (laughs) That's a rough one. That seems like it's right in the kill spot. Maybe a little north north of it, but it's like right. It's like right in her heart. It's wild. I don't understand why they didn't just choose a different place for her to get shot. 
gunshot wounds are, it seems they have a pretty good chance of being fatal in the real world. Why would they choose to have her get shot in the heart and then do another fight scene? You're telling me she was on set that day and had to wear the red splotch on her heart and do all these action sequences. And she never mentioned to anybody, hey, wouldn't I be dead? Yeah, I like the I like when she's working the machine gun, gets shot and like goes back into the van and there's like the like the interlude with the girl and she like kind of covers up the fact that she just got shot in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> and she picks up Tommy Tomahawk and like opens the door and stuff. Like there are like kind of like cute moments in this where I'm like, okay, that's kind of fun. Like this is sweet. She's amazing. I feel like she's great in this movie too. And then she goes outside to fight him with the with Tommy Tomahawk. Yeah. I think I think that's like always an action movie. Maybe not always an action movie, but it's definitely an action movie issue of like, yeah, people get shot and shake it off. Karen, Karen Gillian or whatever gets shot in the arm, like at the beginning of the movie and doesn't seem to bother her for the rest of it. Yeah. You know, she's, she's sewing at the beginning of the movie and then within a day, this all takes place within like 24 hours. (laughs) And, you know, the arm isn't a problem. Nobody like punches it. She's not like bleeding through the jacket there or anything like that. She gets shot in the jacket again. She doesn't even take the jacket off. She just kind of like dabs at it like over the top. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. cool. She's all good. Yeah. Want to get into some beefs? Absolutely. I specifically piggybacking off of what you said with that fight scene with the tomahawk versus the brass knuckles. Yeah. I was like, I want to, if, if they don't, if he doesn't punch the blade of the tomahawk, I'm going to be so upset. And then he doesn't. And I'm like, what was this for? What was this for? I literally went when they pulled out the <laughs> the brass knuckles. I was like, hell yeah. And then it was so unsatisfying. I let me tell you, thought the exact same thing. Did you I really? really wanted to see that happen? <laughs> really wanted to see that happen. It's another idea where I was like, how have I never seen this before? I've never seen a tomahawk versus brass knuckles fight and they need to give it to us. And it didn't feel powerful to me it didn't it wasn't compelling and even the brass no. knuckle i don't know what did he hit her with the brass knuckles once i don't remember that but brass knuckles is such a powerful like if you get hit with that there's like a boom and like a like an impact and like you're seeing stars and like stumbling and like the idea of punching the tomahawk either like shattering the blade or like knocking it out of her hand like i don't know it seems like such a missed opportunity for like what was a very unique fight uh, in a montage of other fights that I would say are less unique and original. Yeah, absolutely. I think my biggest beef I've touched on a little bit already, just the idea that this little girl's dad is killed and then she becomes attached to her dad's killer. I, I don't buy that for a fucking second. I think it's another time thing too, where like, I think it's possible with enough time. Absolutely. That, that happens. I don't think it works in a 24 hour movie. This is a 24 hour movie. This is one day and the kid just. It's okay and just forgives them right away. And I mean, I think kids are different. I mean, kids are a little different and like maybe they think about the world differently. Like at eight, like, I don't know. They found somebody else who like loves them and treats them well. And somewhere off screen, like they didn't, she didn't see it happen. She didn't see this woman kill her dad. So maybe it's just easier for her to forgive and forget. But you're right. It's 20. It's 24 hours. Yeah. And I don't know if they're going to make a sequel or something like maybe you just leave it. You don't tell her she doesn't find out. Maybe that's a seed you plan for the next time. Yeah. 
she finds out later. You see how that influenced the relationship? Yeah. Why? Why is she finding out right now? It seems. It seems crazy. It's also like it's not really her fault, but that's it's just it's such a grown up conclusion to come to for her not to be blamed for that. Right. Like, yeah, you got you were given the order. Somebody else killed her, killed, killed my father. You executed it. But the order came from somebody else. That's a very grown up way to look at it, I think. When I was eight, I think the only order that I could comprehend was that if I ordered a Happy Meal at McDonald's, I would get a Power Rangers action figure. (laughs) That's where my head was when I was that age. This girl is treated with the emotional intelligence of a 19 year old. And yet they keep giving her that shitty line where she's insisting that she's eight and three quarters. Yeah, that's a trope and a half, too, right? Of just like the little kid who's like way wiser than a little kid should be. <laughs> yeah. Just way more profound. Ugh, great beef. Ugh, um, fucking hate it. I, I think I had a couple other. There's like weird stuff with like, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the name, but this one of the women, like one of the like pretty slight woman ties a chain around some guy's neck and then hangs him with her own body weight. And she's like half the size of this guy. I'm like, this doesn't work. I feel like there were lots of things like that. Like mechanically, like this guy outweighs her by a hundred pounds. There's no way that she is able to hold this person up. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I was wondering if the force of her dropping would basically balance it out so that it would actually kind of work. Maybe, but then at the bottom, she's just like, Oh, like holding it extra hard like that. Yeah. Like somehow you're able to hold that way. I don't understand unless it's like some kind of like pulley or something. It just seemed it seemed weird to me. Yeah, I got to I got to buff up on simple machines to see if that (laughs) would be simple tools, levers, screws, (laughs) planes. One last beef. Oh, yeah. yeah, Hit me. Does anybody else use this library? Is this just an empty assassins library or do like normal people go there? Are they implying that nobody reads self-help books because they're full of guns? Like what, what else happens in the library? I think based on what we've been shown about how few people are frequenting any location in this entire movie, the only conclusion is that this movie took place in mid-March 2020. This movie takes place during the government mandated shutdown. Everybody's in their homes except for the assassin world that is just using the streets to play. It feels like that. It feels like that. And if anybody walked into the library, they're fucked. They're like, Oh, cool. Charles Dickens. And it's a fucking, I don't know. uh, Wow. I really should have had a Charles Dickens themed gun. Just ready to go. That was another thing where like, it's cool that there's names and they're giving like all the names of the books and that's fun, but there's no correlation between the name of the book and like what's in it as far as i could tell that would have been a cool that's like another level to go to oliver twist and it's a meat grinder (laughs) or like a corkscrew you know and then you just like have a scene where you're like corkscrewing somebody's eye out like there's definitely some cool shit fucking good damn my final beef if people keep getting shot in this diner why does anybody go there you got me (laughs) this diner let me tell you nobody goes to this diner this diner is kept open by dark money they're paying yeah. the bills they don't need I, I don't even think they have a line cook back there <laughs> just a milkshake machine i don't think we see any other food in the diner it's just milkshakes i don't think so yeah 
I got a thief. The library itself, very cool place. The library is awesome. That set looks phenomenal. When we go into the other, when we go into the other themed rooms of the library, they look amazing. I just want to go to a library that looks like that. Yes. Just a physical location. I really want to, I really want to go to. It's so cool. The library is so neat and all the little kids rooms. So good. Awesome. I think it's very neat. And it's also, I, I feel like that is a fantastic set for action sequences because you have the separate rooms. All those separate rooms are themed out. They're all able to have kind of theme specific props in them that are then just more fodder for you to play with in the action sequences. I, I think it's a slam dunk and I don't think that it was fully realized in this, but it's uh, it's as close as anything got. The fight scenes are like simultaneously like kind of creative and not creative enough <laughs> of like, I feel like there could be more stuff with the books. Like, I don't know. What about that ladder that like slides around the bookshelves? Like, can we have a fight off of that? Oh, can we have yeah. somebody pushing over a bookshelf? Can we have people like fighting, like ripping books off and like throwing them at people? You know, like, I don't know that it's, it's cool that when they're in the library, they pick up weapons. I guess they planted there that look like they could be there. Like one woman's fighting with hammers another person's fighting with this, this chain, which I think is pretty cool. It seems to me like they're making a lot of allusions to other action movies. And I don't know if it's just like osmosis or if it's something like intentional, you ever see the equalizer with Denzel Washington? No, he fights some dudes with a hammer and then uh, they end up having a scene. Angela Bassett has a scene where she ends up fighting with two hammers and I'm just like, oh, I'm just thinking of the equalizer, you know, there's yeah. I don't know if that's a thief for me. It kind of reminded me of that. Like maybe this is an homage to that. Lena Headey in the diner is fighting with what looks like the shotgun from Terminator 2. Do you know what I'm talking about? Wow. It's like yeah. an iconic short like modified winchester shotgun with like the big loop hand it's like a lever action and it's got the big handle and arnold is doing all these tricks where he like flips it to reload it and it's got like 10 or 12 shots in it like this is one of the coolest most iconic guns in action movie history and she's rocking what looks like almost the same gun or at least like I, I think that i feel like that gun's like too big and iconic to just be used randomly in an action movie so it seems like a weird, weird reference to me. The tributes are clear. There are so many direct, I guess, homages to Edgar Wright. The like pushing action shots that he does in Shaun of the Dead, where you'll get three quick shots of something happening that are super intense. But, you know, the thing that's happening is actually really mundane, like a toilet flushing or a tie being pulled all the way up. I think he does those in Hot Fuzz as well. So there's there's definitely a lot of the director was trying to draw on his influences, I think maybe a little too closely. But you did remind me of another. I changed my answer. My thief is Lena Headey's pistols that have bayonets on them. Yes. When she stabs the guy and then shoots him. Holy shit. That was cool as hell. That's just very cool. Catching like reloading the gun and then shooting out through the body <laughs> into another yeah. guy. I'm like, this is awesome. Like there are cool things in this movie. I think it's yeah. it was it put the car in front of the horse a little bit with some of these ideas, but there are great ideas poorly executed in this movie like throughout. And it's I thought it was fun. It's fun to watch. There's some I liked her throwing the gun. I thought that was a funny bit in the elevator where her arms are still numb. She just throws the gun at this guy <laughs> <laughs> like that's a good bit. 
I, I think the fight scenes are like the thief for me. The car scene's awesome. The doctor's office, like that stuff's really cool. I think there's also something to, you kind of know where everybody is all the time, which I think is pretty good and maybe hard, hard to do sometimes like the big bad with the sledgehammers that comes into the library. He comes in last because he was in the laundromat, like when everybody got the call. So he's like farther away. So it takes him longer to get there. And for Mm -hmm. some reason that stood out to me as like a detail of like, Oh, this is good. This is just good. That's good work. Like that seems like really basic, I guess, but I thought this was, this is a fun movie to me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe my imagination gets, gets a hold of me and I I see something fun and just blow it out in my mind. But I had a good time with all this stuff. Any thieves, any more thieves, Kevin? I think that's it for me. Okay. You want to wrap this up on reckless speculation? Yeah. So they have confirmed a gunpowder milkshake too. They have. So Tim, what do you think is going to happen in gunpowder milkshake too? I saw a quote from Karen Gillian that she wants Meryl Streep and Jennifer Lawrence for gunpowder milkshake too. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think you understand. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I don't think you have any self-awareness when it comes to this movie. <laughs> that's like, uh, you know, that's the equivalent of there's a diner uh, a little bit north of Ohio State's campus. It was called the Bluter Noob. And this diner, you would go in there. And everything on the menu was five to ten dollars. It was greasy spoon burgers, all that kind of stuff, you know, a little side bowl of chili. And then there was one item on the menu that was called the Blue to Noob special that was two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> and it was a grilled cheese sandwich and a bottle of Dom P. <laughs> Asking for Meryl Streep and Jennifer Lawrence and gunpowder milkshake too is the equivalent of being handed a milkshake and ordering the Bluter Noob special. You do not have enough money for that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she understands what this movie is or like how how good this movie actually is. Um, I think there is a cool movie in the the movie ends with the the assassins in a car going on a road trip. And I think there is a movie in Family of Assassins raising this girl on the road being hunted by the firm. And I think that could be cool. And I think that could be fun. And if Meryl Streep wants to make a cameo, you know, more more power to her. (laughs) But I, I, I think they, hopefully Netflix gives them another $30 million. Like I I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them any more than that. I don't think they've proven they know what to do with it. But like (laughs) if Netflix wants to keep giving you know, movie stars, $30 million to make something. I'm like all about it. Like churn another one out. I, I'd watch it. What about you, Kevin? You give it to a different director. You can toss him 80 and there'd be a really cool movie that would happen. Yeah. I think it's possible for this to be a way better movie. It definitely could have been a way better movie. And I think whatever direction they're given carrying Gillen, it's like not, it's not right. Like she needs to be yeah. less, <laughs> she needs to be more herself. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this movie? No, um, I hated it. Uh, I hated you it for hated not realizing it. You hated potential. It. I hated it. I really, Damn. I really slogged through this movie. The ending fight scene with Lena Headey. Thank God that was there because that was kind of the thing that got me through to the end. But I really struggled all the way through this thing. It killed me to read the captions and, you know, by, by virtue of doing that, read the script and realize what this could have been. 
I just, I, I hated seeing what it became. Kevin, I can't disagree with a, a single thing you've said, but I also kind of liked it. So, <laughs> like, you know, let's take, a, take away with that what you will. This has been, you know, Nerdy for 30 talking gunpowder milkshake. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be posting more in the future. Obviously, this is not our last episode. There'll be more to come. Uh, and thank no, you so much for listening. It. Don't fucking yeah, jinx it. More. We're doing another one right now. Okay. Bye. Bye.